welcome back to the Punt Return Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Splitter. We have two left. There are two franchises left in the hunt for Super Bowl glory in NFL 2021-22. The upstart Cincinnati Bengals continue to defy the odds and my year-long favorites, at least, the LA Rams back in the big dance after a three-year hiatus. As always, I'm joined by Ryan Lepore-Lepper. It was a good week again for us on the punt, but what do you think of the football itself? Uh, it was another fantastic weekend. Obviously, we had two games go right down to the wire once again. And, of course, the Bengals, uh, from the second straight week, walked it off with their rookie kicker. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs fell in a hole, as we saw in that second half. They just got nothing going on offense. And, and they couldn't stop the, uh, the juggernaut that is the Bengals in these playoffs. And then, of course, the Rams themselves came over a, you know, a double-digit deficit in the, in the second half to, to book their ticket to another Super Bowl. And... Uh, and, and no less deserving team, obviously. And it's, it's a great matchup and it's an interesting matchup because they're, they're teams that don't face off very often. Um, they're only slated to meet four times, oh, sorry, once every four years, uh, just in how the, the competition divisions match up. And so they've only played each other once since 2016 or 2016 season. So um, it's very, it's a, it's a rare matchup, but it's going to be a really exciting one, obviously, for the. For the, for the reasons we'll, we'll talk about, I'm sure, um, you know, a little bit tonight and, and next week in more depth, of course. But, yeah, it's, it's going to be an awesome Super Bowl and, and, yeah, another amazing week of playoff football. And like you said, it was a decent week on the punt, but it just could have been a little bit better. Half a point and it could have been a mm. great week on the punt, but it is what it is. Um, so how did we go last week? I had a no play on the, the KC Bengals game, which was probably lucky because I was leaning the Chiefs. Uh, and no good on the Rams, minus three and a half. That half a point killed me in a, in a couple of different plays. Uh, Kelsey, two-plus touchdowns, 550. Didn't quite come off, even though I had a couple of chances to score that second one uh, later in the game. And then that same game, multi, again, let down by that half a point. But Cooper Cup, over 105 receiving yards. Cooper Cup, anytime touchdown worked. Uh, a couple of singles on Kelsey. Mixon didn't quite get there on the receptions. I think he had three. I had him for four and a half. Uh, had those three early too. I thought yeah, you know, real early. I think it's three yeah. like the first quarter, end of the first quarter, mm-hmm. or early in the second quarter. And I thought this is this is good times here. But I don't think he had another target for the rest. No, of the he game. didn't. And they unlocked all their other receivers. And and the man yeah. that we mentioned was so quiet the week before and wouldn't get much um, snaps or, or football was um, Piran, who Piran, actually yeah. scored a, yeah a great touchdown and he ended up catching three or four balls himself, which obviously took away. Uh, mixes targets, but yeah, and and then as we saw the, the Chiefs situated in that second half, and, and that kind of ruined a few of our props as well. And well, it certainly got my Sunday multi as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't. I was counting the cash at half time when they were up by eighteen. Yeah, right. I it was, know. It was looking really on, ominous for the Bengals that they were just going to get blown out of the water. And yeah, I don't know. Do you think the game potentially changed on that? just before half time when they didn't take absolutely yeah. absolutely in that situation and i know you know it's andy reed and it's patrick mahomes and i know you know they backed themselves on offense to to do what needs to be done but they didn't need to do it that was the no. thing is that they could have taken the three it would have been good times at half time and instead they went in kind of angry and deflated and you know they missed the opportunity and then you know as we know and, and the bengals it's not the first time the bengals have done this to them this season um you know, you're never safe against that offense. And it's a bit like we, you know, we know with the Chiefs, you're never safe against that offense. And the Bengals are, you know, the Chiefs light on offense, I guess. Um, and, you know, second time this season, they've come back from 11, 11 down at, or 11 plus down at, at halftime. And 
uh, and come back for the win. So, I mean, they they must have been deflated, and you could tell that the Bengals came out in the second half yeah, full of beans. They were pumped up, they were ready to go, and the Chiefs just weren't there mentally um, in this in the same vein, and it, it cost them dearly. But uh, you, I mean, you also had a pretty decent game. It was that Chiefs line and the Rams line that half a point again that kind of cost you. Uh, but on the on the props, as as you have been all year, uh, there's a fair bit of green in that in that sheet there. Yeah, Paddy Mahomes only fell, I think, ten or fifteen yards short of his line. He had over two hundred at halftime, and mm. and really, obviously, struggled in that second second half. Obviously, um, Kelsey and Hill both hit their their yards that were in the same game multi. Uh, but yeah, the Chiefs obviously had them at the line, so that didn't work out. Um, also, took the unders in the Rams. Niners game 20. So, yeah, thanks for uh, telling us it was going to be over. We knew it was going to be under as soon as you said that. And, um, but however, yeah, we just fell that half a point short, which we both would have got our long shots up if the Rams covered. Yeah, uh, yeah Odell Beckham Jr. had another feasting day as, as did his mate Cooper Cup. And, yeah, Elijah Mitchell. He doubled that line. More yeah, than doubled that he, line. Yeah, he smashed it. And, uh, and Elijah Mitchell just didn't get enough opportunities either, which, which we thought might be the case with Debo being a bit more involved in the run game, which he was. So, yeah, we both went four and two in the box. Um, yeah, unfortunately, the Rams just kind of let us down there by half a point, but that's the way things go. And, and it was kind of the trend at the back half of the year, wasn't it? We just, you know, mm. the nearly, the nearly there, um, half a point, one point here and there. So disappointing, but uh, yeah, it was all in all a pretty good week. And, and like I said, we saw two pretty great games of football. And now we get to watch uh, a pretty magnificent Super Bowl in just over a week's time. Yeah, well, I guess that's why they call it gambling and not just making money, because it is a gamble and you can't win all the time. But it's a good segue though, because it's not a gamble for our guest. He, you told me he's he, he's the man that fixes the, the guru. Books. The guru. Well, he's back. I mean, for everyone who's listened to this show for a couple of years, you, you'll recognise the uh, the next voice coming up, and we will take a look at some of our preseason plays. This is the week off before the Super Bowl, obviously, so we'll take a look back at the season that was and some of our preseason plays and predictions just to see how things line up. But we are lucky enough to be joined by Stats Insiders Managing Editor, James Rosewarn. Mate, it's been a while, but uh, how did you see the uh, championship weekend and what do you think of the marquee Super Bowl matchup? Nick, Ryan, lovely to be here. Lovely to be on the pod again um, and lovely to connect with all the listeners again. So conference championships, I was going to concentrate just at the start on the two fallen teams, right? So Chiefs and 49ers, okay? So first question with the Chiefs, this is to you guys, is four straight conference championships for the Chiefs, eight or nine all up for Andy Reid. How do we feel about the Andy Reid legacy ultimately? Does he, is this, is there a sort of a, not, I'm not going to say a buffoonery. He's a big guy, right? Like he loves his burgers. <laughs> he dials yeah. up phenomenal offense. He's a lovable character. I really like Andy Reid, but I'm going to say this word, sloppy. <laughs> is there a sloppiness? Yeah. Andy Reid that is ultimately undermining a phenomenal resume. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll take this one if you want, Lepper, because I'm no, a big Andy Reid fan. And I think, look, I think both in, in both cases, in, in Andy Reid's career legacy and in ultimately this Chiefs period, that when history looks back on these things, they'll be looked at as incredibly successful, potentially somewhat disappointing, but also incredibly dis- you know successful. Um, 
but when you look at it in a vacuum, when you, you're coming off the back of four straight championship games for one Super Bowl win, then you have to you have to be disappointed. And and Mahomes said it after the game himself. You know, you go into every season expecting a Super Bowl win, and anything less than that is disappointing. Anything less than that is failure. And I think in a vacuum, you know, days out from that loss, then you, you probably do feel like that. But in 10 or 15 years, when everything's done and dusted and Mahomes is retired and Reed's retired and whatever, and they look back at this period that's, you know, it's, it's four now, it could very well be six or seven or eight in a couple of years that, I mean, even if it stops now, even if Mahomes never plays again, and the Chiefs never hit the heights that they have over the last few years. It's an incredibly successful period. I mean, it, it's so rare, it's so unlikely that a team does what they've done. I mean, take out the Patriots of the last 20 years and everything that but, they've done. Like, that's just unheard of. Take out the Steelers of certain periods. It's so rare what the Chiefs have done over the last half a decade. Um, that Yes, it's well, disappointing that they haven't got the ultimate prize more, but you know they've won one and they've been there another another time. And, you know, they're, they're an incredible franchise, the way that they've been built and they've been run over the last five or six years. Um, and, I think and, history history will look on them favourably. Sorry about that. Yeah, and adding, like, what, six, seven straight division crowns, like, they've dominated the AFC, really, for, for almost half a, well, over half a decade. And, and like you said, I think it's the problem we have here, and we compare everything to the Patriots, which because of the success they had, and, and like you said, it's incredibly rare that, you know, in any sport, let alone the NFL, when there's 32 teams that can win on any given Sunday, as we, as we know, um, can be so successful. So the Bill Belichick Tom Brady partnership has kind of skewed that for a lot of people, I think. And and, and certainly, you know, that's the thinking you have. You go off one Super Bowl out of four straight AFC titles. That's pretty stock standard, really, for most NFL teams. When you look back at the Packers and how unsuccessful they've been in terms of the golden era they've had with Aaron Rodgers and it's only won one Super Bowl and what been in one more actually I don't know if he, no he's only been in the one Super Bowl hasn't he like it's um couple he was he he made it ahead, but four, they're the first team to host four straight AFC championship camps it just shows you how dominant they've been in the recent season but I think your point on Andy Reid's correct James is that sloppiness he doesn't have that killer instincts like like a Balachuk or, or someone like that, um, you know, from yesteryear, the coach, the great coach of all time. And that probably tarnishes his legacy a touch. But I think, like like Nick said, you know, it's, it's going to be looked back on hugely favourably. And obviously, got a huge window still ahead of them of, of success. And, um, you know, hoping Andy Reid can be around for that for that ride because obviously, my own is going to be. Um, you know, up to his eyeballs in, in, in conference championship games in the next. Uh, 10 years or so. So, yeah, I, I think you have to look back on the Chiefs and say they technically maybe underachieved, but I think, might, like you said, two Super Bowl games, winning one, I think any team would take that in a four-year period, uh, let alone, you know, teams that have never made the Super Bowl, which, um, um, you know, there's a few that haven't. So, Well, well let, me, let me ask you this yeah. question. So when you look back at the Chiefs' last four years, do you take that or do you take the Bills' four Super Bowl appearances for four losses? That's a good question. I, I'd probably take... Oh, I, I, you take the Chiefs because they've won one. Sure. And, yeah. But, um, yeah, and, and nothing's going to ever, you know, replace that. Um, and you, as you know, making it a different supporter. sport, you know, it doesn't quite hit the... Uh, and and as, 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 a, as a final sport, I, I, 
very much used to getting to the big dance and falling. It, so every week um, you got to you got to bring Collingwood up every week in grand finals. Every week, <laughs> invite you onto the show, make you a co-host, and then you got to just stick the dagger oh, in every week. All right, oh, sorry, I'll, I'll compare it to the, my bills as you, but we might touch on that a bit later. But <laughs> <laughs> no, look, like you said, you take the Chiefs four years every day of the week because they've won one and. and and because they've been fun to watch as well, I mean, they've been a dominant team of the regular season in the year, essentially, that they, in the last four years, really. And, and and it was interesting. This year was a bit more of a ride because of the, the struggles they had early. And, and then I think that adds to Andy Reid's, you know, coaching ability and his, um, his legacy that he could turn things around mid-season to, to get them to another AFC Championship game. Andy Reid is the only coach in NFL history to take two separate franchises to four straight conference championships. Like obviously okay. having done that with Philly as well. So that's never actually going to be done again. Like literally, like it will never be done. We could be doing this podcast in 400 years and it will still stand. <laughs> I'm sure of that, right? That's how monumental that achievement is, right? But this, I'll put it in quotes, failure or getting one Super Bowl ring over the last four dominant seasons, I think speaks to the beauty of this sport, right? Like we've got this intense sport with thousands of players and thousands of coaches and it so comes down to dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Everything needs to be covered throughout the course of a game, especially in this sort of high-octane era, right? We always need to be on your guard. And this is, I think, the one sort of Achilles heel of Andy Reid that comes back to bite him is those micromanagement situations. You know, whether it's his play calling within two minutes, um, his you know, the minutiae of punting here, going for it here. He made an absolute mess of that last bit with KC when they settled for the field goal when Mahomes was running around like a headless chook. It's these kind of things that I hope, and I'm, it's, it's, hey, I'm bringing it up, but I just think that, you know, I'm sure you guys agree, we've got this once-in-a-generation quarterback with Mahomes and coupled with the fact that the AFC is getting ridiculously strong now every yeah. year. It's going to be so crazy. I just don't want it to get, I like, he's already won so much more than Dan Marino as an example, but, you know, Mm. I just think this guy deserves so many more rings than one. So, but you, you wonder though, I mean, you, you talk about that and, and the sloppiness potentially, whatever you want to call it. And that, you know, though in those moments, those really important moments, one thing I think that separates, you know, someone like Andy Reid and you look, you look back at, you know, Doug Peterson and his time in Philly as well. And he's obviously a you know Andy Reid disciple, mm. but the difference between someone like an Andy Reid and a Bill Belichick, for example, is that Bill Belichick will micromanage and control every single little detail. Whereas Andy Reid's more that man manager, you know, this is your gig, you know, the, the play call, uh, this is what I think, you go do what you do. And if you think, you, if you think in this moment, you know, with 30 seconds left to go, um, that we shouldn't take the field goal, you reckon you want to take that third down, fourth down and, go for the touchdown and go for the extra points, then, you know, that's your call and I'll trust you to do what needs to be done. See, see, this is huge, right? Because and I, I, you're spot on, right? So Andy Reid, Peterson, they all come essentially out of the um, 
Mike Holmgren, gunslinging tree, right? Coming back to Brett Favre. So all these guys have worked with phenomenal quarterbacks. They're the big personalities that, hey, mate, I can take it. You know, I'll do it. As you said, put it in your hands, man management type of thing. Belichick out of the Parcel schools, defense, they've never worked with that kind of, you know, they don't come from that offensive standpoint, right? They're always trying to pick you apart, you know. You're saying that Bill Belichick never had a good quarterback? No, no, no. What I'm saying is their DNA is defense. You know, like <laughs> oh, so I'm just pl- I'm playing from the Josh Y school play, you know, school book. <laughs> exactly. But that's the thing, like even Belichick, like my image of Belichick coaching is working, right? Like he's I mean, when we ever we see Belichick, he is literally at work. He's mm. huddled down with with guys mapping out things all the time whereas these big i'm not this is again this is not a crack at andy but yeah he's worked with these big these these quarterbacks right these these gunslingers and i don't know this this is this is this i think you hit the nail on the head perfectly like i think this is a shortcoming if you like of 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 what they can bring to the table a whole run the one ring with Fab as well we're we're getting a bit a little bit off track yeah. But it's, it's a real cool conversation, so I'm happy to keep it going. But does no, someone no. like a Patrick Mahomes fit in a Bill Belichick franchise? No, I'd say absolutely not. Like mm. in terms of Mahomes coming out of the, the, the Big 12 and the airing it out, air raid kind of system was the perfect. And it, for fans, for everybody, this was mm. a perfect marriage, one of the best marriages in pro sport. Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. It's been wonderful. We should celebrate the one ring and hope there's more to come. This has been a feast of entertainment these last four years. And may it continue. Yeah, spot on. And, and like you said, you know, that that AFC is is stacked with QB talent now under you know, under Mahomes. You look at Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson. Yep. Uh, you know, there's there's a ton of talent in that conference now. And that's that's gonna be super fun to watch over the next decade, I reckon, maybe even more. Um if they can, you know, all stay healthy and and stay fit and and whatever. But I, I wonder how many of those guys will look to potentially move to the NFC to get out of that stacked conference and stop the comparisons all the time with that same class of QBs um, because there just isn't that talent in the other conference. And it's getting it's getting less, isn't it? I mean, we could see yeah. the best NFC quarterback moving to the AFC. Obviously, the other great one is retired now. Um, there's not much in the NFC, is there? Russell Wilson's on the decline, potentially, and potentially looking for a new home. Dak Prescott's probably the, the other one that's the, the standout, I suppose, and, and he's, and, and Stafford, of course, but and and, and maybe Kyler Murray, but look, they're, they're in, they pale into significance a little bit. So the, the, the names you just mentioned from the AFC. And, and one you didn't mention, Josh Allen as well, of course. So of course, it's, um, yeah, it, it's going to be a hell of a ride in the AFC for sure. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see who kind of comes the next wave in the NFC for sure. What there is to counter that, I would say, is you know, is this is the San Fran Rams duopoly for for, for franchises for smarts like they're so mm. elite the brilliantly run and coached and everything like that, that's a competitive advantage that those two teams have, which almost balances it up. But I think that's that that will be so fascinating to see. Like we are in the player empowerment movement in sports across across the world, but particularly in the US, right? Are players going to arrange their own futures by saying, hey, if I want to get these rings and 
the star power and everything like that, will I try and get to what is clearly going to be an easier conference? So, yeah, that that's going to be that's going to be so fascinating. That's going to be more NBA like, right? That's right. We've seen that a number of times over the last decade in the NBA. As that becomes more and more common, you look at the you know the LeBron James factor across a number of different franchises and and what's happened post that. You know, post his move to Miami and what that looked like. Mm. Obviously, there were you know. It, it did happen before him, but he kind of made it mainstream, right? Uh, where, you know, you team up with other stars to, to form your super team. And we've seen that start to filter across to other sports. And, and obviously, you know, Brady moving from the Patriots to, to the Bucks in free agency was something that we can't, hadn't really seen at that level, at that scale in the NFL. Um, but I think that becomes more and more mainstream. And, and you look at someone like, and Aaron Rodgers and what he decides to do in the next 12 months. You look at Russell Wilson, what he decides to do in the next 12 months. Um, you know, and you're just going back to that, that QB kind of conversation, but it kind of comes in waves, doesn't it? The, the, the NFC had Drew Brees and you know, Aaron Rodgers and, and Tom Brady for the last two. And, and now they're potentially all gone. And now it's the AFC's turn to have that bunch of guys and it kind of comes in waves and, and classes, doesn't it? It's the, the way that it, it works in those waves. Yeah. And I think you, that was, I, I like the aspect of Russell Wilson because he, I think is the biggest card in this whole free agency trade period. You know, he could really shape it. He can, he's the kind of guy who I'm, I'm sure can take a six, seven win team to a 10, 11 win team you know, in the course of immediately changing franchises. Mm. So is that, does that, what would that mean for a team like Chicago or Minnesota, as an example, in the NFC, where the path is clearer and you're only really needing to eat into San Fran Rams and, as Ryan said, Dallas as well. Um, so that's... Dallas that's Dallas would be like, I know we're going to drift off again. Dallas, <laughs> for me, uh, and we might come to that later, I just think Dallas should be absolutely should be the team that is most disappointed right now right and it's the same stupid stuff that ruins dallas in so many areas dallas actually do really really good things they've done the draft if you like as well as any team throughout the last 10 years okay they've kept continuity in management in you know scouting head coach not much turnover as well even though they've had two absolute doofuses uh, in, in charge um i just think god they should have they haven't even made a conference championship since 1995 yeah. forgetting and and ain't it grand? Yeah, I mean, it's, long it's, may it continue. Yeah, I mean, for sure. But I mean, I, I do like to see, in some respects, if you take away everything about, if you take away all the names, right? Yep. Everything about the branding, Dallas have done it right. They backed Ezekiel, they backed Dak Prescott. As I said, the draft, and they've brought in through the last six or seven drafts 11 defensive players through the first two rounds. Yeah, like they've stacked and loaded and paid so much attention to it, not fritted them away, and they built this really good defense to complement a really good attack. And I just think it's always something with Dallas. This year, the penalties were, were already like in in in, in buzzer lights heading yeah. into the game against San Fran. The penalties were a problem, and then on the biggest stage, what they got run up for about 150, 200 yards worth of penalties. Yeah. It's just, it's phenomenal. Like, and then the path would have been there to at least make a conference championship. Like that team is absolutely, anyway, 
but that's a Dallas concern, <laughs> but you know, branding and stuff like that. That's huge. Yeah. Well, we will get to some of those moments and some of those things over the course of the season. We might take a quick look at some of our season predictions. Obviously, James, you weren't there for the season opener for us, but interesting to get your take on a few of the plays from preseason. I know you're always, you always got a keen eye on futures plays and, and what's in the market. So, um, Lepper, have you got your, uh, your preseason plays in front of you? Yep, yep, certainly do, mate. Well, let's let's take a quick look through the uh, division winners that we had. And I think we were, we were on the same page for most of them. We both lost out big time on the Browns and the AFC North. Uh, I was big on the Colts, as I have been over the last few years, as, as a franchise building in the right direction. Uh, and they couldn't get the job done. And, and your mob, the Titans, uh, did get it done in the end, probably surprisingly, given a lot of the issues they had to face throughout the season. Yeah, no, I was very confident going in, uh, in the season with the Titans from what they did last year and obviously those key acquisitions, but they didn't have them on the park most of the season and, and they had almost 90 players go through the, and and they, look, we've already, we've talked in Northern about the injuries that they popped in and some other teams including Baltimore throughout the season, but they found a way, the Titans, and, and they won that division comfortably in the end, obviously, with the, the Colts not even making the playoffs. And uh, the other ones we all predicted, mate, were the Bills, Chiefs, Packers and Buccaneers. They were all probably the four easiest to, to pick in terms of the divisions. And then I, I done, somehow got stuck into the, the old Washington football team that we have, some, as we now know, the, the Commanders, which is going to be very, um, yeah, yeah, that's going to be weird to say. And yeah, well, that's another discussion we'll probably talk delve into a little bit. But yeah, you obviously tipped the Cowboys with some disgust, but they were obviously the clear class of the NFC East, although your Eagles gave them a bit of a run in the end. Uh, and well, we both, I don't know if you call it a run, but... Yeah, we both um, correctly picked the Rams, or, you know, and, and that didn't look good for you know, the majority of the season, really. The Cardinals were flying before they did, you know, another collapse at the end of the season. So the, the Rams... Um, Saluted for us, where we both got six of the eight division winners. Yet the wildcard teams were an interesting one, and I was shattered with the AFC wildcard team because all three of my teams that I predicted were really in the hunt and in the box seat for a wildcard spot, if not a division title, and none of them made it, which was staggering that the Chargers, the Ravens, and the Colts all missed playoffs. and I would have thought going into that final week of the season that at least two of those would definitely made it. Um, mm. But they both shut the bed, the Chargers and the, and the Colts. But uh, yeah, so I missed all three AFC uh, wildcard teams. Um, you had the Steelers, Dolphins and Titans. Obviously the Titans got in there uh, as division winners. But the Steelers, uh, sorry, and the Steelers, of course, did sneak in in the end. Uh, and then the Dolphins missed despite winning seven games in a row, or eight games in a row, whatever it was. And, uh, the NFC wildcard teams for myself, we both had the Cardinals, which was um, locked up pretty early, that they were going to be a playoff team. And then I just missed with the Saints, losing uh, to the to the Niners, but obviously I had to, I had both of those teams, so one of them I had to get in then, and it was the Niners. So I had Cardinals and Niners and the Saints with my wildcard teams. You had the Cardinals, the Seahawks, and the Washington football team. But we both got a few wildcard teams in, but it wasn't our, our strong suit there. But uh, no, it was 
But James, James, I'll ask you this one, but we'll, we'll touch a bit more on, on the season that was from a football perspective, obviously, uh, in a little bit. But w- were there any surprises in the division winners that, that really, I mean, let's take the Bengals out, for, for example, because I don't think anyone expected them to win a division, to win a conference. You know, that was one out of the box for almost everybody. But outside of the Bengals, was there a, a surprise division winner in, in any of that for you? Well, Ryan won't like me saying this, but the Tennessee, well, Nick would know, like, oh, I'm not anti-Tennessee. In fact, I kind of like what they've slowly been building. But what was it? Football Outsider said this was the worst rated number one seed since 1982, 1983, somewhere around that period, okay? And maybe it's a testament to that franchise that they they did get the number one seed and they did get that far. But there's weaknesses right across this mm. team. And I think, again, this is the beauty of elite, elite, elite sport. You can do so much during the regular season and that's the beauty of the playoffs. Mm. But what else do you have? What's your next move? Mm. You know, what's your sort of, what card can you bring out on the table? I think Tannehill was carrying around an 88 QBR for the whole season. I mean, that's- He struggled, he struggled late, especially. Mm. Yeah, and it's just- this Well, little- and it's kind of, you know, we, we spoke- you know, on previous seasons of this show, James, you know, when you were on and, and we were doing with Josh and, and whatever about the Titans as they began this ascent to, to this moment, I guess. And it was always the opposite. You know what I mean? It was like they were not expected to do a huge amount. And then Tannehill kind of caught fire, for example. Derek Henry became King Henry. And it was mm-hmm. always, you know, second half of the season is when things took off. I know they still had a decent second half of the season, obviously without Derrick Henry for most of it. But in previous seasons, it was like, well, we don't expect them to. They're the outsider in you know, the division championship. They're the outsider in whatever playoff matchup they're in. And then it would take something out of the box from Derrick Henry or from Ryan Tannehill to get them over the line. And this season, it was kind of Ryan Tannehill trying to do too much, but he couldn't do it. He couldn't do what he was used to be doing over the last two years prior um, and they just didn't have that plan B you know to kind of fall back on they kind of snuck through on the the force of will almost will and and team effort and you know backups on backups on backups but yeah. when it came down to that moment they needed someone to stand up they didn't have that guy to do it and that's the thing. I mean, if you said to the Titans, you'll be playing and hosting a divisional conference, a divisional champion, divisional conference game. Okay, you'll hold your opposition to nineteen points. Your opposition will be Cincinnati, and you'll get nine sacks. You'll sack the opposition quarterback mm-hmm. nine times. You'd say, okay, so we're we're playing in a conference championship. We're hosting a conference championship. Yeah, I just think there's so little wriggle room in the way they're configured. And it shows you lose Arthur Smith in terms of offensive coordinator to an already limited team, Matt LaFleur the year before, with two years before that. They're just, I don't know. And I just think in, in this time in the NFL, this probably would have worked 15, 20 years ago. This formula could have produced mm. a Super Bowl. Well, Frazel is that type of guy, isn't he? Absolutely. This could have been a Baltimore Trent Dilfer type, you know, win. Um but I, I, I kind of fear for Tennessee, to be honest. I mean, I think Tennessee's still got $38 million on that contract. Yeah, yeah. 
it's not a destination. It's not an inspiring place either because it's not offensively loaded, right? It's, it's you know, bring your, bring your runners to training type of, <laughs> type of system there. I just, I don't know about the Titans. I really don't. Like, I, I like them. I like any team that has red, white, and blue as a bulldog, <laughs> as a bulldog. <laughs> so I've got a few to pick from. But, yeah, um, that to me is a sort of a funny kind of divisional yeah. winner. I I agree with you. I think yeah, I preferred them much more as an outsider, as the underdog, with the ability to step up and do something special. Mm. But now I think if you'd said to the Titans at the start of the season, you're going to be the number one seed heading into the playoffs. For them, it doesn't matter what happened during the season. It doesn't matter about Derrick Henry's injury. If you come into the playoffs, having gone through what they've been through over the last two years, you go into the playoffs, home ground advantage, number one seed, it's Super Bowl or bust for the Tennessee Titans. And now I really worry about the makeup of their roster moving forward. Yeah, if you, yeah, I think you're right. The Colts are the team to probably ride in that division going forward, aren't they, for the next couple of years? And despite the quarterback issues they might have there. But look, that, like you said, the, the Titans have had everything not working for them because of all the injuries, obviously. But they had things fall into place. But like you said, it was just you know, a couple percent off and it, and it all quickly fell apart, didn't it? And like you said, those those numbers were incredible in that game to, to come away with a loss um, with nine sacks especially. It was just really the the, um, the ball security of, of their quarterback that really probably cost them in the game. And, and their secondary is, is their weak spot, as you probably know. And, and uh, Joe Burrow really took advantage of that in that, in that game, especially um, late. And look, yeah, like you said, the Titans were a great team to watch. But like you said, Nick, they're probably more of that grit and grind team, aren't they? The backs against the wall. And it just goes with probably, um, you know, Memphis Grizzlies in the NBA as well. I know they're not the same uh, the same city, but I mean, it's in the same state. And it's more that grit and grind and, and really working class and, uh, you know, small market team that are yeah, not expected to do much. But when they do, it's, it's, it's obviously celebrated. But going this number one seed might have been a bit too much for them overall. Mm. Look, yeah, disappointing way to bail out as they did, but uh, we know the Bengals are on kind of a fairy tale run. So, yeah, but yeah, like you said, they're, they're a team to certainly watch for and it could be the declining team next year, especially from the, the AFC playoff teams this season. Showtime now, the Memphis Grizzlies with Ja Morant. Yeah, that's at, right. Uh, yeah. Point guard. Uh, we'll, we'll leave that to another show, I reckon. But um, some of the preseason predictions for the player awards uh mvp i went the obvious pat mahomes you went josh allen who was nearly as obvious in the markets and i reckon we'll both we'll both be beaten on that one i i, I have a feeling we spoke to quinny about this last week and it's pretty hard to bet against aaron Rodgers at this point despite all the things that went on over the course of of the year um james any any thoughts on the mvp markets not huge but i mean you know who i would have Probably had a uh, Russell Wilson, you know, my love of this man. <laughs> but I think everything went wrong in Seattle this year in many ways. No reasons. Brian Burns? Brian Burns, look out. <laughs> Nick, look out. Like the quarterback hits alone. <laughs> um, no play, no play from me preseason or anything like that. It would be more of a, yeah, I think from me, from MVP this year. No, that's fair. I think, Ryan, you probably got closer than me in the uh, the dark horse 
MVP award. You went with Kyler oh. Murray, who was looking pretty good at that halfway through the season. You were trying uh, to tell was, me he wasn't a dark horse, though, even though he was, I think, around 20 something, $26 or around that. Or which I was amazed at. I couldn't believe he was mm. that. It's that early season? That long for uh, for the MVP. But, yeah, I mean, Carson Wentz was obviously a disappointment. Uh, so we'll move on straight away from that. But Rookies of the Year has always been a, a really interesting market. I think there are a lot of different options at the start of the year. And you know, over the course of the year, a lot of those options had good periods. You know, I went uh, Kyle Pitts and Patrick Sertan the second. You went Najee Harris and Micah Parsons. I reckon you're probably closer than me. Uh, on those two, how are you feeling with those ones? Oh, Mike is Mike is locked in. He, he'll be sure. a one at the moment. He'll he'll be winning rookie uh, defensive rookie of the year, if not potentially up there in the defensive player of the year award. Uh, Naji had a really great second half of the season, and it's kind of what I wanted him to do from the start. Pittsburgh uh, finally figured out that he is the three down back. He is the all-purpose running back. That, uh, they needed him to be, and, and he really exploded late in the season. And obviously, Paul Pitts, York, he had a, a really great stretch at some point as well. He just wasn't, it was just a pretty ordinary season from the Falcons, so it was hard for him to get going. And Matt Ryan really struggled with him this year. But yeah, Najee was was great. Obviously, it's going to come down to the two horse race between Matt Jones and Jamar Chase. And uh, Matt Jones was probably not an obvious choice, but he was probably a safe bet, mm. I would say, uh, in that system. Um, in saying that, obviously, he was the last quarterback picked in the first round, so there wasn't that super high expectation, especially what the Patriots did this season ago, but obviously, he just fitted into that system beautifully. I think Jamar's got it, though. I think Jamar's going to overtake him with those huge last couple of weeks of the season, breaking those rookie records. And yeah, you'd be pretty stiff um, if you did back um, Matt Jones, because it's taken something pretty phenomenal from Jamar Chase to, to maybe knock him off, but they're the two, obviously. Uh, who do you think has got that poise? Do you think it's, it's Jamar's to lose? I think I think it's Jamar's to lose. I think Mac Jones has been admirable. Uh, mm. I've been very impressed by him. I think he you know, had the, the lowest ceiling of all of those QBs picked in that first round, but probably the highest floor in terms of what to expect from him. And, and you know, I think we, we talked about it in that preseason episode that it was the perfect landing spot for him in New England because he could kind of walk in, play to a system, didn't have to change much about what he did. Um, it was kind of the perfect place for him. But I think, yeah, I mean, a balance of play across the season. Uh, you know, he had a really impressive season in New England, but Jamar Chase is yeah, amazing to watch. Amazing to watch. Um, and, and how lucky are we that we've been able to see Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase do what they do over this two two year period, it's just I mean it's phenomenal what those two guys have been able to do. And then you look at the guys that aren't in the running for this award, and even what they've been doing has been special to watch and great to watch. Um, just quietly, Kyle Pitts had over a, over a thousand receiving yards and did it just super quietly, like yeah, un, un, unimpressively. But because he's such an impressive looking person, you know, it's huge, and the way that he goes about it, he looks incredible. But if you'd told me a couple of weeks ago that that uh, Kyle Pitts had over a thousand receiving yards, I would have gone, Are "You sure? Are you sure it's not like 700, 750? Because it just felt like that. But yeah, I mean, it's similar to the discussion we had maybe mid-season when we were talking about DK Metcalf, and we looked at the numbers and we went, "Shit, he's actually had a number of years stat-wise, <laughs> but he's really done nothing in terms of yeah. 
you know, the caliber we know he can get or potentially has and the output we maybe expect from him. But he was like third in the league in, in wide receptions or something like that. It was, it was phenomenal to look at. And we, we were both a bit blown away by that. And, and with Kyle Pitts, I would, I certainly thought he, he would have touched over a thousand yards. He missed a few games too with um, some injuries and, and whatnot. So he certainly didn't play all seven games. Uh, coach of the year. Sean McVay, is he in the running? That was your pick, obviously, being a Rams man this year. I mean, he's got to be in the running, surely. He's, he's, mm. he's got to be in the running. Um, uh, it's a really interesting market, though, because there's a few. And there, there is every year, to be fair. There is always a couple of coaches, some playoff teams, some bubble playoff teams that are in the running for this, this market. It's a really interesting, you know, coach of the year is not a consistently awarded award you know there's no set criteria um what what do you guys think genuinely i think mike grable like oh, everything we said about tennessee before i think mike grable for all those reasons there's no talent there well i shouldn't say that i'll backtrack a little bit okay <laughs> it, it's not in the same category as as so many of these playoffs teams to become the first, the number one seed with that talent, especially on offense, I think it was a fantastic effort to keep, and all the injuries that they, 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 they suffered to knock off Kansas to knock off Buffalo in the season as well. Like it's an amazing effort. He's been brilliant since they got there, since he got there. It's a great hire. Um, and that can be independent from how we think franchise wise and where they're heading. But I thought he did a fantastic job this year. Zach, yeah, Zach, he, he's certainly Zach, Zach Taylor's the other one I was you'd have to put in the conversation with you. And and even Matt LaFleur again, uh, obviously the best record in, in the regular season once again. And he's he's proven again that he's a pretty impressive coach in the regular season, like his quarterback, but uh, um again fell short. But look, Zach Taylor, he's been long odds at the start of the season, that's for sure. How, how do you guys feel about Zach Taylor as a coach, as a play caller, as a manager of a franchise, I guess, because uh, was, I think there are some question marks about his play calling. Yeah, and whether definitely. Or not well, this year, you know, is he worthy of coach of the year given the talent and the leash that some of that talent he, has had this year to do what they do? He was on the chopping block last year. Like he, he was genuinely potentially going to get fired last year. There was a lot of question marks around him. And, and that, for that reason, the play calling was the thing coming into question. I think it was, Obviously, I think it was our, our old mate, James, Matt Zemek that asked, earlier in the year if Zach Taylor was on the chopping block this year? Well, what first two seasons, something like six and 26, something like that. But I think from the Zach Taylor perspective is the way we look at Cincinnati as a whole. Nothing normal applies to Cincinnati. The way the whole roster is constructed, the history of the franchise, Burrow himself, nothing in Cincinnati makes sense where they've apportioned their their salary cap. The the defence, like... This, this is normally a defence that should be making these kind of waves either. It's just, this, this, it's, it's just been a phenomenally crazy year. So I, I, I personally wouldn't want to stick the knives in the Zach Taylor in that respect, I think. And look, if you want to give credit, if anything, to Cincinnati, if anything we've proven over all the years we've seen Cincinnati fail, is they're loyal, right? They were loyal with Marvin Lewis for ages. They stuck by Carson Palmer was injured when he was injured. Ocho Cinco was there for a long time. And sort of but there's been patience, right, with this franchise. Yep. For better or worse, they stuck by some 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 
unsavory off-field incidents and even on-field behavior as well, right? So I think the Zach Taylor thing, I don't know how close it got. I, I don't know how, I, I doubt whether they were that close. I think they've always accepted their mediocrity. That's what always is so stunning about Cincinnati. Even now, it's kind of like, how has this happened? It doesn't seem to be part of a grand plan. There's no, you don't sit down and write this beautiful narrative because it doesn't exist there. That's that's what blows me away. So should he be in the running for coach of the year? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've gone from fourth place over the last basically six seasons to winning the division and storming mm. to the Super Bowl. Um, and it's not that loaded, the roster. Like clearly got a stud quarterback. Clearly, Jamar Chase is outrageous. A couple of good rushes, pass rushes back there as well. Apart from that, we're not we're not dealing with a phenomenally expansive roster. So he'd be at top three, top five. But yeah. you hit the nail on the head as well, Nick. You said we, we don't have a criteria to work with. Mm. So we've so much speculation here. Um, and that's the thing, like, even as Ryan's saying, like, you know, like with Matt LaFleur, like, how do we evaluate him? Like, you take, like, Matt LaFleur's numbers at Tennessee as a coordinator were horrendous. Yeah. Like, absolutely awful. Um, and he gets the Green Bay job, and it's like, okay, if I'm working with Rogers as well, I'm sure <laughs> I'm going to win games. <laughs> so, I mean, so you went, uh, Sean McDermott, Lepper, who, if, if, you could have your time again. And and Sean McDermott was, I think, a very solid choice preseason and had another very good year, I think. Probably a little disappointing the way that it ended. But yeah. um, who who's your who's your tip as we sit here today? Like, yeah, like you said, it's it's, it's no credit. Yeah, it's, it's probably that most open market um, or open award, I should say, in in this um, in these predictions, I'd say. I, I have no idea who Near the name you just mentioned, could easily walk away with it, I think. So, yeah, it might be just a, a wait and see because I've got a big one from here. I'll sit on the fence. <laughs> Rude. Uh, comeback player of the year, we both tanked. That was donuts. Yeah. I, I went Saquon, you went Christian McCaffrey, which I think I think both were fairly solid choices at the time. But, uh, you know, when, when they both... Justice refund for them both and everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, I should probably probably send both to the glue factory. To be fair, um, <laughs> defensive player of the year. I, part of me says you should be you should be collecting me. Part of me says this is my safest play of the year, and the other <laughs> half of me says it's been robbed twice. It could happen he gets again robbed this year. Goodness me! <laughs> because Goodness you're not. Me. I mean, you, you talked about Micah Parsons being up there for not just defensive rookie of the year, but defensive player of the year. He's phenomenal. And it's from someone who hates Dallas with a passion. Micah Parsons is phenomenal. And I'm not sure I've seen another rookie like him in a very, very, very long time. But it's TJ Watt. And he had... It is TJ Watt. He had, it is TJ Watt. It has to be. It, it has to be, doesn't it? Well, defer to you, James. Tell us it's going to be TJ here. This is the thing, right? Let's play the schoolyard game where everybody's on the fence and you're just picking one man for one game right now. Would you guys ignore Aaron Donald if he's standing right there for one game? If I've got one pick for a schoolyard lunchtime scrimmage, I'm taking Aaron Donald every day of the week. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He's just... Uh, look, Nick and I have spoken about Aaron Donald so much. It's just ridiculous. 
in a, in an era where we're so obsessed with quarterbacks and offensive play, what he's done on the other side of the ball is the equivalent of what Mahomes, Rogers, Brady, you name them, has done. He is a game changer. Yeah. He's... I think since he's entered the league, he has 25 more sacks than anybody else. Like since entering it, he's got more quarterback hits than anybody else. That's two seasons for most people. Two seasons worth of sacks for more than most people. Yeah, yeah. It's it's insane. It's insane. I mean, there's three Defensive Player of the Year awards in there as well. So I get he's being recognised. And that's another issue altogether, but always come back to franchise building. The Rams have really built around him as well. They haven't neglected that talent. And I know we're drifting off and we should probably get away from Donald for a second. And I will, because Ryan, if you did identify Micah Parsons at the start of the year as being a legit defensive rookie of the candidate, that's a huge call. It's, it's a, a really good one because... He's a game changer. I heard Kevin Clark talking about him in the context of Aaron Donald, that he hasn't seen a more transformative mm. defensive player since Donald. And it's that kind of zigzag across the, the field on defense, popping up everywhere, right? Just being a destructive force. I mean, it's it's the definition of an impact defender, yeah. but, mm-hmm. but not, not coming in for 25% of plays to be an impact defender is, is an impact defender on every play. Exactly. Which I'm just going to raise the name because I know there's different personalities, different builds, but there's a lot of Ray Lewis about him. Right. This is that yeah. every down, impactful player. Just, yeah, intense and just, yeah. If you remember Ray Lewis, he'd be there on every tackle, no matter what. He'd be basically just to get his hand there as well. Hand, yeah. yeah. Always there. And it's, there's, there's that, I've, I've seen that already with Micah Parsons. Like he's just so bouncy, so energetic, mm. and God, you'd love to be playing with a player like that on D. Yeah, you'd love it. Yeah, and the way it's, a guy his size gets around the field and, and does what he like it doesn't yeah. matter if he's rushing the pass, it doesn't matter if he's chasing it. Like he just does everything and does everything to an incredibly high level. It's interesting because he's so laconic and blasé off the field from the bits I've seen of him away from from the from the field. He's very laid back, very chilled out kind of character. Look like loves a joke and, and a laugh, but he's he's not like that super intense guy around the around the team. When it when it but when it comes to game day, he's on the field and he puts the pads on. It's a different story, isn't it? And that's so important in Dallas as mm. well, like particularly in Dallas because mm. you're gonna have that you know that big big personality. You're gonna be on every billboard. You can monopolize the franchise. You can hold them to ransom in that respect. I think that's a perfect, perfect get for them. And again, fits in with the way they've recruited in, in recent times. What about what about Nick Bosa as well? Can we throw a, a bit of Bosa love out there on defense in terms of, you know, even through, you know, the whole the, the, the San Francisco lens? Mm. I, I thought as well he was he was just as impactful as well for, for, for San Fran and kind of the secret source to Shanahan's success. I wrote a piece going into the playoffs that I thought he was their their super strength, their main weapon. Yeah. I would I'd agree with that. I think he probably suffers in terms of the rankings or ratings because of the things that have happened around him and the injuries and the issues that that franchise has faced on so many levels for three years straight. You know, since they were in the Super Bowl, um, yeah. and and we've spoken about that a number of times throughout the course of this year. I know we talked about it in previous years as well. But I mean, Nick Bosa is up there with the best defenders in the game, like without a doubt, yeah. and he's clearly in the same vein as, as an Aaron Donald or a TJ Watt, the difference maker for his franchise. But that franchise has been beset by so many different issues and injury and personnel that it's almost, you can't, 
I don't think you can have him in the same conversation from a betting perspective for that reason, even though you know he's just as good or in the same conversation at least as, as those other guys. But in the way that things have panned out for that franchise over a two or three year period, that it's just impossible to have him in the same betting market, if that makes sense. It's, it's funny the way where you're talking about San Fran. It's like, we, I don't know how to file them. Are we talking mm. about them um, mournfully, right? In, in a way, we kind of are. But yeah. at the same time, like, look what they've achieved over the last few years. I don't know. Is the trajectory up with San Francisco? Is, are, are we starting? Are we going to see an era of San Fran dominance? You know, like, and I guess it all depends on how, how we rate Kyle in a way, right? Like how highly well, you guys put Kyle. I, I think it comes down to, yeah, who's going to be quarterbacking that team yeah. and, and how they, and if that development comes from who they think is going to come from. So, look, we, we think Jimmy G's time is up. and, and it's, I think know, he thinks signed, his time is up. Yeah, all signs are pointing that way. So, it really is going to come down to Trey Lance and how quickly we can take that step. And But they're obviously built on defence for the next so few years. All- and, and Nick Bosa, I think, to your point, James, is he's probably the most valuable player to his team in the entire NFL, if not one of the top three. Like obviously Aaron Donald is what you said is the most is the best defensive player in the league, I think, and, and the first pick in a schoolyard game of um of touch football or something. But he can be covered by some other weapons around him on, on both sides of the ball. Whereas I think Nick Bosa out and out is the best player on San Francisco across the by a fair margin and, and the record would probably speak for itself. I don't have the stats in front of me or numbers, but when he plays, they win. And and when he doesn't, they don't do it. They they struggle. And and yeah, I don't have the numbers to back me up, but I, just from the from watching and, and knowing a little bit about how successful they've been when he's on the field, it, it, he's certainly the most impactful player on that Niners roster. And if not, like I said, he's probably one of the most valuable players in the league to his team. So look. He, he's a superstar, and it's, it's disappointing that he's not going now. Uh, well, can we go head to head against Aaron Donald in the Super Bowl? But yeah, it's going to be, um, yeah, watch, watch, watch and see with the Niners because, like I said, they, they go either way. It could really fall off, or they could, you know, we could see that dominance and be around the mark for the next few years. It's amazing to to hear you guys talk about the Niners because I've got some really strong feelings about the Niners and the way that they've built. and. Yeah, I think clearly they're they're built on kind of two really solid bedrocks of defense and running the football. But over the last three, you know, since their Super Bowl appearance, they've been they've had so many injuries on the defensive side of the ball, and they've had so many injuries to their number one, number two, number three running backs. And so they've had to kind of fill pieces and and stop gaps and puzzle around the way that they want to be built. And and yet you look at the the constant, and I know he's also had injuries, but the constant at Jimmy G at quarterback and the, the obvious solution if, if Jimmy G has moved on, which it looks like he will be not playing in San Francisco next season. And, and the obvious is, you know, they invested in Trey Lance at, at the draft. Uh, the obvious answer is that he becomes your number one next season. But there's a wild card, multiple wild cards potentially, if they decide that Trey Lance isn't ready for that number one job yet, 
and they still want to build around defense. They still want to build around running the ball. But for two or three years, do you give up whatever you've got to give up to get someone like an Aaron Rodgers or a Russell Wilson in that Shanahan offense? Shanahan's offense is so, it can be so dynamic, but he hasn't had that QB to be able to throw the ball essentially for three years. I wonder how much there is to give up. I mean, in terms of the, the three first rounders who Trey Lance effectively in that mm. draft, there does come a point. I mean, this is really smart. I, I, this is the thing. How many teams are going to follow the Rams blueprint, right? To become your best self immediately. Mm. I think, I think they stick with Lance. This is the direction they want to go from a QB perspective. He'll work. With, I think Shanahan can solve all manner of sins. Okay. It's just, the continuation of these meltdowns that happen. I mean, I think the stat of the year for me is zero points scored, 53 points conceded in the last quarter of the last three playoff exits. Insane. As OC, as head coach. So that's the Atlanta Super Bowl against New England. That's the Kansas City Super Bowl. And that's this last game against the Rams. Zero points, 53 points conceded in the last quarter. Mm. So I think Shanahan can can scheme it up. I mean, you look at, go through the stats as well. What Shanahan does from a first quarter perspective, blitzes the league. So he has his teams phenomenally prepared. He can find the gaps in the defense over and over and over again. They leave themselves exposed though. When Nick touched again, they have a very solid running game. That's what they want to do, right? If that starts to crumble a little bit by the fourth quarter, if you're not rolling over teams, and then the big difference is the susceptibility to the deep ball, okay, in the secondary. This isn't a team that has invested invested very, very, very little into their secondary, okay, even through the draft. Mm. The last six drafts, they haven't bought a single player, single DB or safety in for the first two rounds. That's, that's, that's a bit of a neglect to a major portion of the, of, of the field, especially in this era. So I think it's these cosmetic changes rather than massive big name changes you touched on as well like last week nick on the pod when you were talking about aaron Rodgers coming to town that's a big personality in a progressive city in a tightly run franchise that i don't i think san francisco are beyond so i think yeah. they can just fix those little things but i mean the people the doubters of shanahan are gonna think like okay it's not that fixable in a way like there's something majorly happening for these meltdowns to occur and if i was a san france fan i'd be i'd be going crazy i really would because he'd be so frustrated with everything right and then something doesn't work i, I would be befuddled if i was a niners fan because where where does the issue lie and, and you know we've touched on the run game and then you look at when they had their most success over that last third of the season and you've got your number one wide receiver as you're essentially your impact back out of the backfield as, as a runner, as a receiver out of the backfield. And I mean, I love Debo Samuel. I, I love what he does. He's great to watch. He's the, the switchblade mentality of just do what needs to be done. Any given moment, any given Sunday. Like I love that. And the story is great. And it would have been a great story coming into next week had they gotten over the top, but the way that that franchise has been built has been around having a lead runner, one of that, you know, that bully downhill runner, uh, get through the gaps, get that one, two yard 
you know, get the first down, bully them on the ground. And then Jimmy G is the, the game manager that kind of drives the on-field coaching, the strategy, you know, the little things, but you're not going to expect him to throw down the field. You're not going to expect the Hal Mary out of Jimmy G, but it's that, you know, whether it's Elijah Mitchell or, or whoever it is. And they've, again, so many injuries to those guys that they've had lined up at running back over the last two or three years, that the way that they ended the season, do they maybe start to look and, and move away from that strategy into next year? It's really interesting. Yeah, it's hugely interesting, especially Shanahan, like he's sort of a, a disciple of his dad's system, right? Which is the zone back idea. It's the heavy running. It's the offensive guard play. It's it's a whole thing, right? Like it's a whole thing. And then, then the Debo elements kind of remind me of sort of an outside the huddle quarterback. And I wonder how much the whole team wants to orientate themselves and their lives to designing plays to get Debo carries and, mm. and or catches and stuff like that. It seems very finicky to have that sustained over an entire period or make that a priority of a franchise. And mm. I love Debo as well to the nth degree, but it's those kind of things. It doesn't, it doesn't feel natural, right? It, that like all these players, offensive linemen, quarterbacks, you name them, have they worked their whole lives to sort of work in that kind of system? I don't know. I don't know. This is where... It would it would drive me crazy. I know Shanahan is is just this phenomenal for three quarters or for whatever. Mm. It's it's that breakdown. Yeah, breakdown. they also wouldn't want to leave, lose D'Amico Ryan's as well. But yeah, we'll come yeah. into this when we talk to in, in a section <laughs> or two. Um, but that's that's a huge asset, asset that he, they have on 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 D. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll move very quickly through this next section, but playoffs and and you know the, those key matchups i think we were pretty much on the same page as i think most people were uh afc championship game we had the bills and the chiefs uh and the bucks and the rams both of us had this the same matchups uh and unfortunately we, we had them a week yeah. early than, yeah. uh, than we expected <laughs> which you know in some regards was a shame but also in others it was like well something different out of this championship weekend that's you know unexpected it's fun it's dynamic uh, and obviously the Bengals uh, are a big part of that. But Super Bowl, I had the Rams and the Chiefs. You went the Bills and the Bucks. Uh, it was fifty percent better than you went in in that regard. But um, Aaron Donald and and Josh Allen, we both had we had as uh, Super Bowl MVP. Uh, obviously, I'm still in the running in that one. If you were to have a play now, and obviously we'll do we'll do our full kind of preview of the Super Bowl next week. But as it stands today, if you had to pick one player uh, as a Super Bowl MVP today, who's that for you, Ryan? Uh, offensively, it'd have to be an offensive player just because I think of how the game's going to go. So I think it has to be Matthew Stafford, obviously he's the favourite, but um, the quarterback of the winning team would win the MVP 90% of the time and I think the Rams will win. So Matthew Stafford for me. James? Yeah, Aaron Donald, for me, against that Cincinnati line. Yeah, Tennessee got him nine times. Yeah. And there's going to be pressure to possibly going to be playing from behind as well. I just think that Donald has waited his whole life for this stage and this this Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. The, the, concern, the concern is that Cincinnati send however many guys they've got to Aaron Donald to, to block him. And, and, and that opens the door for guys like Von Miller. 
And exactly. we, we know what he can do on Super Bowl day, right? Like that's my greatest day <laughs> betting ever. Um, <laughs> yeah. in, in 20 years of punting, that 2015 Super Bowl is my greatest punting day ever. Um, so yeah, I think Von Miller is, is value still at, at that sort of play. But I mean, for, for me, I, I agree. I think it's still got to be Aaron Donald, even though, yeah, talking to Quinny last week at 100, 101 bucks for, for Aaron Donald figures. a week ago, it's what down into 15s? Did you? Yeah, into 15 now. I, I'm, I'm really hoping you took that 101 after he told us that. And I, that, I think surprised both of us once he said he scrolled through the 40s at 50 and he got landed on 101. So, especially if you thought the Rams were going to win, which we both did um, last week. Yeah, it's just crazy, crazy over. So but, I really hope you had a piece. What's amazing? So I did after after we got off that night. I got on Aaron Donald at 101. What's amazing is that I went into the office the next day, Friday morning, and told everyone in the office to get on Aaron Donald at 101. By the time everyone started scrolling the betting apps, he was down to 41. Are you kidding? So we've moved. How the much markets. did you have on, mate? We've moved the markets. <laughs> the podcast. This podcast. Betting trends, betting movements, we're moving the markets. Um, a couple of, I guess, light-hearted futures bets. And, and this is where, James, I remember we spoke during the off-season about potentially getting you on for the uh, the season preview. I would have loved to have your your plays at the start of the season. But we, we've had a bit of success out of these plays so far. And obviously, there's still a little bit to play out. Uh, but my futures plays, outside of the, the things that we've already spoken about, I went the Texans under four season wins, $1.90, which has ended up as a push. The Rams over 10 and a half uh, got up. The Jets under six got up quite easily. Rams to win the NFC West was scary for most of the season, but uh, but that got up. The Texans with the NFL worst record uh, didn't, which was a huge surprise. Um, and Devonta Adams over 1,300 receiving yards uh, which I think we all thought was kind of money for jam at that at that stage. Uh, didn't go the long shot at the two thousand that that I liked at uh, at ten dollars plus. But uh, how did you go, Ryan, with your preseason futures? Yeah, I also I was pretty much focused around two teams, um, Rams and the Cardinals, and they both delivered for us. Rams to win the NFC West, Cardinals. Uh, sorry, Rams win the NFC West. Rams to have over those two and a half wins, as you mentioned. Uh, Cardinals over nine and a half wins, and Cardinals to be the NFC wildcard team, and that was 425. So that was some nice value. That looked like it was going to be the other, um, could go the pear shape there where they were streaking away with the, um, yeah, worked and ended perfectly for you. That's right. Yeah, it was a perfect result in the end for that in the NFC West. The Browns, though, was one of my other bets to win the NFC North, and, and Josh Allen and DP, I was pretty keen on too. But, um, yeah, we know that's not going to happen. So, yeah, all in all, pretty good. Futures, I think we did all right. Um, yeah. We had, yeah, like I said, we had 68 division winners. We, we've done pretty well in those, those futures there. And then we might sneak a few awards in there with, um, with Michael Parsons and MCG Watt for yourself. So, all in all, pretty good. And uh, not, not you're obviously bad. still alive in the Super Bowl MVP race and, and Super Bowl winner. So, as you've been saying all year, man, go around. <laughs> James, pre, pre-season, I mean, you took the year off last year. Uh, a few things going on with COVID and work and new baby and all those sorts of things last year. But um, w- was, there, was there something 
prior to this season in in the preseason that you went, I've got to I've got to take this or or this is a market that I can't ignore right now? Well, one that really shone brightly, the one that really shone brightly for me was Arizona. Like, and I remember, I remember texting you as well, Nick, their price to win the NFC, I think was around 26, something around that, something price, like that. maybe 21. Um, and then I, I didn't back it because I was still off at that stage. And I was like, obviously when they started 8-1 or whatever it was, I was like, <laughs> gee whiz. A still got it, but um, B, what have I done in a way? Um, yeah, but clearly, obviously, completely capitulated, right? And those post October numbers about Arizona over to Kingsbury regime yeah. are yeah. beyond scary. Um, there's so many things to love about Kyler Murray, and then when you see him in those big spots like the wild card match against the, the Rams, that looked you know, we we all watch sports, right? That yeah. looked really awful, like yeah. really awful across yeah. not just Kyler, but as a team, that looked yeah. pathetic. It was, yeah, yeah, it was bad. In, in terms of where was the, the preparation didn't look there. Defense was just like bouncing off them. It was horrible. They had no plan B whatsoever. And even by the fourth quarter, when they were down by about three hundred points, it still felt like it was the same. It was. It was. Yeah, that was a train wreck. Yeah. And this is this is the thing with Kingsbury and this is the thing with Arizona. They still seem to be playing, I don't know, in another sort of league, right? Um, so ultimately really disappointing. They would see that as a, as a massive failure in Arizona. You have to. You yeah, have to. You After have starting to. the year the way that they did. And I think we, yeah, Lepa, we were both pretty bullish on the cards, not to do what they did, but you know, as, a, as a wild card potential um, to, to make some noise and, and do some damage, you know, in control of their own destiny ultimately. But I don't think anyone, or at least not not us on, on this show, saw that seven zip eight one start coming. But yeah, once they I had mean, once they had that loss, it kind of you well, could feel you could that, feel that. he did. That was that last play that cost them the game and then probably cost them the next three weeks as well. That's right. Um, I think they that, won that, I think they loss, won the following week, didn't they? They won the following week and they, they might have, too. yeah. I think they did too. They they came out and smacked Maybe the Panthers or someone Colt, like that. Colt McCoy, I think, is like massive. Colt McCoy. I was going right, to say Carson yeah. Palmer, but Colt yeah. McCoy, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Colt McCoy came out and beat actually someone better than that. Then they got they got smashed by the Panthers unexpectedly. Yeah. I think they're um, as fourteen point dogs with Colt McCoy. Yeah, and and look, they um that loss to Detroit was the writing on the wall with them really uh, with a full strength lineup almost and, um yeah. that they were really in a bad place and, and spiraling out of control a little bit and like they did the, the season ago before. But, I mean, is Cliff Kingsbury, I know he just had a, a winning season, they, they made a playoff, but is he on the hot seat? That's, I, I that's would think something would have question. happened already. It's a really good question. I think internally they'd love him. Like, mm -hmm. I think he just would suit Arizona men mentality-wise, you name-wise, about Arizona and him. Um in terms of coming back to, you know, Steve Wilkes getting sacked with his one year. And there's some, I don't know, there's just the things with Arizona that leave a bit of a poor taste in my mouth. From an on-field perspective, though, I think losing DeAndre Hopkins, who yeah. you know, Nick and I are just, yeah. who isn't a massive fan of DeAndre Hopkins. I think pound for pound, he's just about the best wide receiver in the game. He's so, pound for pound is almost the best wide receiver we've seen. I mean, yeah. like... It, it, in pure ability and talent, like there aren't many better. Than, and we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago, Lepper, 
about the best wide receivers of our generation, you know, not all time, but our generation, let's say from late 90s onwards, early 2000s potentially, um, well, DeAndre Hopkins is nearly the best of the best. For me, though, you're not going to get part of me speaking of Arizona, Larry Fitzgerald. Like, like actually, he's actually one that we didn't mention. He's actually one that we didn't he, mention because we forget about him in that Arizona yeah. market. Like, mm. and again, he's not, you know, he's not a massive personality. He wasn't a sort of, you know, a rock the boat kind of guy. Yeah. But phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. And, and uh, you know, I, I think, I think my number one was Calvin Johnson, you know, Megatron, yeah. you know, yeah. and short, but incredible. Short, um, phenomenally sweet. Yeah. That was yeah. Megatron for about three years, two years. It was almost like Randy Moss early days in Minnesota, except yep. the size of Megatron as well. Those right. hands, that dome, that franchise. I mean, do we need yeah. Detroit? Who cares yeah. about Detroit? But it was yeah. Megatron, right? Yeah. It was um, the it was the reason to watch Lions games. But I I think I don't know what it is. I think so much about wide receivers. And when when you guys were talking about Chase before in terms of the rookie of the year, just when we think we've reached this point, are we post wide receivers? Have we built up offenses so well that you can plug in anybody to suit these quarterbacks that we don't need the stud receivers anymore per se? Did it get flipped on its head again? I don't know. I I, can't, I I can't kind of come from the school. Don't pay for receivers if everything is suited in your franchise. Like, mm. who, how was who was Brady's best receivers? It was a slot receiver or a tight end, right? Gronk yeah. or Edelman or Welker. well, Randy Moss in that. when they went berserk and that's right. On every yeah. game except the last one. <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't. That's the thing. It's just I, and Peyton Manning obviously had Marvin Harrison for so many yeah. years, and yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think if I was running a franchise, it wouldn't be the area I'd be devoting enormous resources to. I think other areas, you know, I'd I'd, I'd go to first. But I wonder if guys like Ch- like the Chase Burrow thing, mm. everything for Cincinnati, going back to the connection in LSU, continuing through now. I think. Like that makes total sense, and you would be willing to do that and give up the number five pick in that respect. Yeah. But yeah, hey, it's yeah, it's it's one of the. I mean, you look at what Cooper Cup did in LA this season, and at the start of the season, and obviously they had injuries, and and Robert Woods, you know, Bobby Trees was a huge loss to the Rams, and they were able to bring in OBJ and 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 kind of cover that. But if at the start of the season, if you said who's going to be the best receiver in the competition, number one receiver in the competition, and it's going to be a Rams player. Surely at the start of this season, you don't say it's going to be Cooper Cup. No, but was Cup a third rounder or a fourth rounder when he came out? Something like that, yeah. So I'm just yeah. like, in terms of, I'm talking initial resources. Yeah. To get- but I mean, like uh, from a pure talent perspective, like, what what they've been able to do with Cup in LA is amazing, and the the records that he's been around and and the triple crown and all that sort of stuff. I think that the aura around the wide receiver is changing, and you've now got, like you said, the slot receiver. You've got tight ends, and they're all you know. You, your tight end is not that traditional tight end anymore. We talk about Kyle Pitts. You, 
a thousand yard, thousand receiving yards from a rookie tight end. I mean, unheard of. And yet it's like we had a really quiet year. He's the number one receiver, yeah. a really quiet year. That's that's insanity. And yeah. Cooper Cup, who's been with the Rams for six years, but has always kind of been that probably at the at the very most has been their number two receiver. And all of a sudden is the triple crown, is the the leading receiver, the number one receiver in the competition. What they've been able to do with that mix and match offense and make things work based on the QB and the, the play calling. And we've spoken a little bit about the play calling in LA as well, James. Um, I, I mean, the talent at wide receiver across the league, I don't think has ever been as great as it is right now, but is it as reliant on a single guy or a certain type of player like it has been historically? I think it's a lot more like you can get, a slot receiver who does nearly as much damage as the long ball, you know, the, the old Deshaun Jackson, Hail Mary type receiver. Mm. And you can get incredible yardage out of that slot play, slot receiver these days as almost as anybody on field. But that's it. Like, are you going to like, you know, if you go and pick a stud wide receiver out of college in the first 10 picks of a draft, the message that you're sending you know, whether it's like a Plaxico Barrett or something like that back in the day, it's a big thing to mortgage for a guy who's sort of, you know, out there on the field and relying on a good quarterback. It's, I, I don't know, it's kind of that, that finisher, right? Like it's the striker in soccer or something like that. Like, I don't know. I, I just, it's something that I'd be reluctant to push into. And just going back to the Cooper Cup thing, I think that speaks to the Rams though. It's all exactly what you said. Sure. All, the play, all the franchise continuity, all, all the everything with there works perfectly. And it's a testament to patience and synergy within what they do. But I just, yeah, Chase though, Chase Barrow had that already, that already had that yep. connection. So the question for you then, Nick, is what did Philly give up last year to bring in um the, the, the kid from Alabama. Smith, Devonta Smith. Yeah. yeah. What, what was that? Uh, there was a pick swap involved. There was a pick swap involved. I think we gave up a future third, essentially a first round pick swap and then a future third or fourth or something to move wow. up to that pick six. Six? No. No, he was he was later than that. He still... ended up, ended up 11, 11 or something. Got, got him in front. So it was 10. 10. Okay, there you go. Yeah, uh, and, and how do you grade uh, that, Nick? Like, what what's your grade for that? All things considered, knowing the cost and everything like that, and where it could have been spent, right? Michael yeah. Parsons came three picks later, two picks later. Yeah, uh, that that's probably the one. That's that's probably the one where you go, did they get it right? They, you could have had Micah Parsons, you could have Devonta Smith. If Devonta Smith or, let's say, for example, because there was talk about Devonta Smith being a top five, top six pick as it well. Early days, yeah. Let, let's say it's Devonna Smith goes five or six to Cincinnati and, or, the, or you know, the Bengals take um, the uh, the tackle uh, who end up going the next pick or a couple of picks later. Yeah. Sul. yeah. Which I think a lot of us said that they probably should have taken because they needed that to protect, mm. protecting Joe Burrow. But all that aside, Philly... And Howie Roseman, you know more than anyone, James, my opinion on Howie Roseman and stick to contracts, stick to roster management. Don't do the draft anymore, Howie. Like, just give it up. 
if, if Howie Roseman had picked almost anybody other than Devonta Smith at that pick, he would have been crucified. Absolutely. It doesn't matter if you've got Carson Wentz at quarterback. It doesn't matter if you've got J- Jalen Hurts at quarterback. It doesn't matter who's a quarterback. The, the biggest issue for the Philadelphia Eagles on offense is talent at wide receiver. And we've seen over the past few years, take out 2020 as the bait. Like that's the, the floor. That is absolute floor. But years before that, and you look at the, the receiver situation, the Super Bowl, you look at the receiver situation in the playoff year following the Super Bowl, the talent at receiver is non-existent. You've got a former yeah. quarterback who was your greatest performing, you know, in 2019 at uh, receiving Greg Ward Jr., you know, former quarterback mm. at, at Houston. Uh, mm, you Zach Ertz and Zach Ertz only. <laughs> that, yeah, I mean, look, I love Zach Ertz and, and nothing against Zach Ertz, but uh, I, I won't hear a bad word about Zach Ertz. He's not with the franchise anymore, but he's my brother. Um, <laughs> but they were so desperately in need, of, I mean, of so many things, but so desperately in need of receiver talent the, the thing that's cost Devonta Smith having the type of season that, you know, a Justin Jefferson had a year ago that a Jamar Chase had this year was the quarterback talent. Not, I think he showed more than enough at receiver to say that he was the right pick. The issue with Philly now is, is Jalen Hurst the man at quarterback? And I think that he's probably earned another season, but I don't think we're any closer to working out whether he's the man in Philadelphia long-term. You know, it's an interesting one because I think his teammate in college, who was probably a surprise to go ahead of him, Jalen Waddle, has certainly exceeded expectations. You see, he's looked awesome, especially in the second half of the year. And he's got, you know, a quarterback that's very similar to Jalen that's running the ball, and he just had a lot more production than, than Devontae Smith. And look, I think in hindsight, it, it might not look like the best pick, but I think at the time, I think that was the right, like you said, the right pick for. The feeling to get a Heisman winner that slid down to 10. I still think it's the right pick. Uh, And, and I mean, I'm no, like I said, I'm no fan of Harry Roseman at the draft table and I'm not a fan of Harry Roseman in general, but I think it was the right pick. I think it was the only pick really. The, the question is you take Devonta Smith over Micah Parsons and that's a different, that's almost a different Different question. You go, where is the biggest issue on the Eagles roster and the, in the Eagles franchise? And that's a that's a completely different conversation. But if I had that pick again, I would probably do the same thing. Mm. It does feel like we've been talking about Philadelphia wide receivers for a long, long time. Four like years, even, I reckon. No, no, no. I'm talking like I'm talking back when Donovan McNabb was there. <laughs> T.O. Yeah, because remember T.O. was the missing link, and it went for ages. All they yeah. need is a wide receiver. All they need is a wide receiver, and then yeah. you know, like clearly. T.O. What to, to his credit, T.O. did everything asked of him and more. And on, and on that Super Bowl, in that Super Bowl, he was phenomenal. Unbelievable. Like, we're, talking, we're talking about going back to the great, greatest wide receivers we've ever seen. T.O. Yeah. the top 10, right? Like has to be. And, and, and that's why when we had that conversation a couple of weeks ago, we were like, of our generation of the last 20 let's years, go, let's go 15 let's years, go. Yeah, let's take let's Randy go. Moss, let's take T.O. out of the conversation. Let's go let's, post-Jerry Rice is the best yeah, to look at it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Even more, let, you know, post-Randy Moss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so okay. So it was, it was that generational talent mm. um, because it's, it's, I mean, that 
there are so many elite receivers. So there are so many that have had you know, two, three, four-year stretches. But equally, in this era of there are so many, what's the rush? But that's why guys like DeAndre Hopkins, who have done it five, six, seven years in a row, and Julio Jones, as much as he's tailed off in the last couple yeah. of years with injury, and even the year or two before that with scoring, you know, from a touchdown perspective, but still racked up yards, like incredible yards, but tailed off from a, a touchdown perspective. That's why these guys are so important, I guess, in, in the history of that position, in the history of NFL offense. You look at, at the last 10 years and there have been some incredible talent at receiver. I, but, but, you know, everything always for me comes down to fit as well. Everything's sure. fit. Where you, how, even the Julio Jones situation, he's in a dome, he's got Matt Ryan, he's got Kyle Shanahan, the high octane system again. Like, I don't, I just, I think teams are going to be really careful with how they reach and when they're reaching and knowing how many times, Nick, do we talk about this every sport? Do you know who you are as a franchise? Yeah. Or do you know where you are in the fish and chip queue? You know, yeah. like, is it your turn right now? Do you really need to push straight away on a less serious issue? though, <laughs> Slim Reaper. Like, I didn't know that was his nickname. And it's also Rubber Band Man, according to Profit. <laughs> Those for me are red, <laughs> are red flags <laughs> in terms of Slim Reaper's giving it away, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Rubber Band Man, I don't know if that's a, a play on Kate Bush or like <laughs> um anyway well I, I think that's i think that's probably a little more detail into the betting roundup of the season that we expected to i i've loved this discussion but we might end that here we could keep going for all night if we, we could be talking for days <laughs> on end and our, this is this has been great but let's, let's call it here and we'll be back soon with some more stuff. So make sure you keep an eye on the podcast feed for more uh, season recap stuff coming up pre-Super Bowl. Uh, we'll be back in another day or so with James and obviously with Lepa as always uh, with some season recap stuff. Keep an eye on that. Get on Twitter uh, at Punt Return Pod on Instagram at NFL Podcast on Facebook, obviously, Punt Return Podcast. Uh, and hit us up with any questions, with anything that you want to hear from us in Super Bowl week. But we'll be back shortly with a season recap and uh, a look towards next season as well. Mm-hmm.